0: when you hear another Christian mention spiritual warfare, what's your gut reaction? What happens on the inside of you when you have a moment where you recognize, okay, this conversation, this sermon, this song, this podcast is going to be on the topic of spiritual warfare. What, what happens inside of you? I've noticed that a lot of people in the church, um, can kind of go to two extremes. I think you'll, you'll recognize these. It seems like there are people that are utterly consumed with spiritual warfare that, um, they recognize the reality of it and they recognize it as an ever present reality, which is true. Um, but they do get, um, a little out of balance. They get consumed with it. Everything that they talk about ends up shifting into a conversation Uh, about spiritual warfare and it's all that they see they only see the war the other ditch the other extreme is people that never think about it don't really want to talk about it and because maybe it's been overhyped and they've been exposed to some of the wackiness that goes along with spiritual warfare ministry and conversations and messaging um, they just kind of blow it off they're just over it (laughs) they got the t-shirt they moved on I think those are two extremes that we'd probably do uh, well to avoid. And I want to just try to bring you something today that um, for those of you that may have been kind of blowing it off and just, you you know, that was yesterday's news, the whole warfare thing, you know, demons and Satan and tactics and strategies of of the dark world. Um, maybe you just have kind of moved past that. I would caution you to, to maybe readdress that reality um, in your life so that you don't become vulnerable and ignorant and um, unaware of Satan's strategies in your life. And then for those of you that lo- <laughs> that you love spiritual warfare, I don't have to really tell you much because you're going to like what I'm going to talk about today, but you know I would like to have that caution in your heart that realize that there's uh, John Piper wrote it and a friend of mine named Caleb Andrews, put it in a song, but the statement is life isn't only, but it's always a war. And to grammatically break that down, what, what Piper said and Caleb sang was life isn't only a war, excuse me, life isn't only a war, but it is always a war. The warfare is ever present with us. And that will be the reality, um, until the Lord Jesus comes and Satan enters into the lake of fire. Um, there will be a war always, and I believe that as any good soldier, you have to stay aware of your enemy, and you have to make sure that you're doing everything you can to keep him locked down in the place of no authority in your life, uh, no permission, and certainly no cooperation. A lot of people cooperate with the demon, uh, the demon world and probably aren't aware of it. And so one of the primary modes of operation, I'm only going to really focus on one today, Um, primary modes of operation, strategy, King James says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. It's just a word that means strategy. Um, I think we, we need to recognize his ministry of accusation is highlighted in scripture as a ceaseless activity of Satan and his demons. I pick up on that from, you know, the book of Revelation, chapter number 12, which of course highlights this aspect. Let me let me just read you from Revelation 12 verses 9 through 11, and I'm only going to hone in on a couple of things. So it's this is less of a Bible study, but I want I want to substantiate that what we're talking about is rooted in scripture. It's not for these charismatics. A lot of people blow off spiritual warfare because sometimes charismatics of which I am one, uh, haven't done a great job of, um, you know, explaining a lot of the stuff that we, uh, perform. (laughs) Like we're performing deliverance ministry. We're doing it and we don't always add any kind of teaching to it to people understand it. And so people are just kind of freaked out by it. But, um, Revelation twelve, nine through eleven says, The great dragon, that's Satan, was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. And then it describes him as the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the salvation, excuse me, and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And then verse 11 says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they love not their lives, even unto the death. So this has both a a past present uh, and future application. Um, I'm going to focus on the present. Um, There is a final silencing of the accuser that comes when he is uh, thrown into the lake of fire, but that, that hasn't happened yet. So there's a present stranglehold from Satan that is uh, suffocating many Christians. And it's this, uh, I call it the ministry of accusations. Um, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation 12, who accuses us night and day before God. Now, I just want you to think through that. Um, The Bible says that Satan accuses Christians before God day and night. Now I'm not, I'm not wise enough, smart enough to explain to you how that works. I just believe what the Bible says that it, it, it actually happens. And so there is a, A communication activity from Satan himself uh, before the Lord, who he he is permitted by God at times to come before God. And when he goes there, he accuses us. Now, I don't know who all gets accused. I don't know if everybody gets accused, but I do know God's people get accused before God. So why do I bother telling you that? Because there's nothing you can do about that. Nothing I can do about that. That's. That's an interaction between God and Satan, but I would, I would submit this to you. If he is the accuser of the brethren before God, is it not reasonable to believe that he is the accuser of the brethren to the brethren? Wouldn't it make sense that if he's bold enough to stand before a holy omniscient God, as he did in the book of Job, accusing Job to God, it's a, read the first couple of chapters of Job, and you'll see a very clear picture of what that accusation looks like. Um, but if he's bold enough to do that, don't you know that he will do it to you? His ministry of accusation is carried out also by the demonic realm. He has an innumerable amount of demons. We don't know how many there are, but they are uh, in existence, they are active, they do not take vacations, they are hell's warriors, hell's soldiers. They, like their father, the devil, come to steal, kill, and destroy, and it is only by the grace and the mercy of God that you have not been stolen, killed, or destroyed yet because the grace of God, and as Revelation 12 said, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony has brought defeat to Satan in your life. That doesn't mean he has given up because when he cannot wrestle our soul any longer, he wants to crush our peace. He wants to... Remove the capacity for you and I to bring glory to his archenemy, Jesus Christ. And so he fights us. And one of the ways he does it is by constant harassment. And the ministry of accusation, I'll start, I just will tell you three ways. I don't have time in a podcast to unpack it. This is a much fuller teaching, probably should be an hour long sermon. But um, first of all, he will accuse God to you. He will misrepresent God to you. And he does that by some form of supernatural influence and communication. Accusations are verbal. They are put together through communication. You, you will hear in your soul, spirit, you will hear things that are against God to make you doubt God, to make you distrust God. Just remember Eve in the garden. It's exactly what the serpent did. He didn't come up to her and say, God is evil. Run from him. He just got her to doubt God, question God's goodness. And of course, we all know what that led to. And so he will accuse God. He will tell you God is not merciful. God is not gracious. God does not love you. God has favorites and you're not on the list. He will tell you constantly when any any kind of negative impact hits your life, he will tell you God is against you and is punishing you. If God loved you, he would not let that happen. Why do you serve a God who doesn't insulate you from all difficulty? And so he, he accuses God to us. The second level is he accuses you to you. So he will quite frequently tell you um, everything that's wrong with you. And that ministry of accusation in those moments is really a ministry of amplification, He amplifies things about you and turns them into weapons. So in other words, when let's just say you said something cross to somebody, you said something rude, insensitive, mean, maybe gossipy, slander, by the way, all of that is sin, and you know that you sinned, what Satan will do is he'll amplify that. You will be convicted if you're a Christian of your gossip and your slander. You will repent before the Lord. And after that repentance, Satan comes up to you and says, you know, you're going to keep doing that. You know, you're going to run your mouth. What you just what you just repented of is is laughable. You're not sincere. You're not even a Christian because a Christian would never commit sins like that. And he will attack you and accuse you. He will bring shame upon you. He'll immobilize you by amplification of everything that is not yet fully sanctified in you. And he will get your attention off of what Jesus has done for you so that you fixate on the things that are not yet fully aligned with Jesus. And as much as I would like to say it's not true, all of us fall short of God's glory every day. Um, I'm not saying that you can't go a day without sinning. I'm just saying most people don't. And the, I define sin as anything that falls short of God's holy standard of perfection. So if I think something selfish, I mean, don't even say it, but I think something self oriented and it is not rooted in the gospel. That's a sin. It falls short of God's standard of holiness. And so Satan comes in and says, Jeff, you're an incredibly selfish person. What are you think you're going to do a podcast today? What a fraud you are. What a hypocrite you are. How can you tell others about the kingdom when you yourself are not perfect in the kingdom? So here's what's interesting. That ministry of accusation which utilizes the tool of amplification, he's actually telling me the truth about what I did. He he will he will literally agree with me when I know that I have done something, thought something or said something that is sinful. He will come into agreement with me and he will say, you know, and I know that what you just said or what thought or did, you know, that's sinful. So he's actually telling the truth, but he twists the truth. He amplifies that truth of what I've said, thought or done, makes it more enormous in my mind, tries to make it more enormous to where it eclipses what Jesus has done for me. So I learned many years ago that when Satan accuses me of my sin that I've repented of, I look him, spiritually speaking, in the eye and I say, you are right. That was sin. And Jesus Christ, your enemy, who is my Lord and Savior, died and rose again to bring me out of condemnation for that. So Satan, I do not agree with you. I refute what you are saying. I am a believer. I am in the process of being sanctified. And I will stand in glorification one day while you are in the eternal lake of fire. So if he's going to talk to me, I talk to him. And by the way, I will submit to you, just to be theologically accurate, I don't know that Satan himself has ever waged war against me. Satan is the leader of hell's army, and most of the attacks on my life have been, if not all of them, have been through his surrogates. Most of the attacks in your life have probably not been Satan himself. He's not omnipresent. He is is limited, but his demons are innumerable, and they're assigned. Hell has a strategy for your life. Third way that uh, Satan accuses is he accuses other, accuses other people to you. This happens so often in our families. Uh, most marriages that have massive and uh, continual friction, part of the element in Christian homes is Satan is accusing the spouse to the other spouse he will get you to fixate on something about your spouse that they have done, something that irritates you about them, something that they're not doing, some way that they're not meeting your needs. And uh, he will blow that up and inflate it to where it obscures every good thing about your spouse. And all you can see is what they're not, what they're not being, what they're not doing. And so he accuses And then he also tempts a lot of people saying, hey, look, you're entitled to what your spouse is not doing for you. And I tell you what, there's probably this other person down at work, or there's this other person in the neighborhood, or there's this other person, you know, in in your social circles, and uh, that person would gladly meet your needs. And so that's how a lot of that works. And then he accuses pastors to the people that follow them, church leaders, hey, that pastor, that prophet, that evangelist, that, you know, shepherd, that Um, apostle, Uh, they're not all that they're supposed to be. And you need to just recognize they're fraudulent. And it's just amazing to me that everybody will acknowledge with a nod of the head that everybody that is in the body of Christ is still in process. They're still in the process of being sanctified. And while leaders are held and must be held to a much higher standard, they're not glorified yet. And if you follow a leader long enough, you're going to see some cracks in them. Some weaknesses, and it's just amazing how the grace that we crave for ourselves we often don't give to our 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 spiritual leaders, and the same thing is true. You know, God, I've been a leader in the church, local churches for a long time, and I can't tell you how many times God, excuse me, not God, how many times Satan has accused the people I lead to me, not accusing me to them, accusing them to me, to where. I will have something made up in my mind about an individual and until I go to them in Matthew 18, I'm convinced that this thing is right. When I go to him, I find out that none of it was right. That's happened to me many times. And I'm thinking, how did I draw these wrong conclusions about them at such a high level? And in in the old days I would just stuff it. I'd make up my mind about somebody and I'd avoid them because I'd think, Oh man, I, I see what that person's about. And then when I started realizing I can get people wrong And I started tracing the root of it down. I was like, this is nothing but the ministry of accusation. So, can you inspect your own life right now? How has Satan been accusing God to you? What are you thinking about God that's inconsistent with what God says about himself in the written word? And I don't care how big you feel it, if it's not consistent with what God says in the written word, it's a lie, it's an accusation, it's a warfare dart. It's an arrow flaming seeking to take you out and you got to raise up the shield of faith to quench those flaming arrows and say, you know what, this is inconsistent with what God says about himself. I'm not going to believe this. And then are you coming into agreement with what the demonic realm says about you to you? That, that amplification of every failure, every weakness, every sin you've ever committed to where they repackage it, the demonic realm repackages it and shoves it in your face and seeks to reduce you to your, your history of failures. That's an accusation. You have the authority and the right. And by the way, the need, the necessity to declare verbally, because if they're talking to you, you must talk back to them. The, the enemy has so strategized that people listen to him, oftentimes not knowing it is him. But then when they do know it's him, they have this internal conversation about what he's saying. They, you talk to yourself about what the devil is saying over you. No, what you need to do is open your mouth and refute what he's saying. You know, when, when James tells us, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That has to mean something. How do you like you resist the devil? So if he's running his mouth, the demonic realm is running their accusations at you nonstop. You must resist. You must speak over them. You have the authority. You have the power and you have the necessity to say in the name of Jesus, I do not receive that accusation. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for me and all of your accusations about my sin, though they may be factual, they do not have the final say. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me. And I tell the demonic realm regularly, that is the same Jesus who rose and beat you. He defeated you. He disarmed you. You have no right to speak to me. If you're going to talk to me, you better go through the blood of Jesus Christ and no demon's going to do that. So you have to resist them. And the Bible says when you do that, they'll flee from you. So you're not, you're not obligated to put up with accusation. And and the same thing goes when the enemy is accusing other people to you. That's why Jesus told us to pray for our enemies, to love our enemies, to bless our enemies. Because when, when Satan is encouraging you in boldness to act carnally or think carnally toward somebody else you have to resist him um listen anybody that's been married long enough i know for a fact amy and i have talked about this and we've seen it in the past like the enemy will accuse amy to me and i'll i'll start thinking stuff it doesn't last long But I will have to come out from under it and recognize that's actually not my wife. That may have been something my wife said or did or, you know, some attitude or something that happened in a moment. But that is not who my wife is. So I literally say in the name of Jesus, my wife is a daughter of God filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed in the kingdom. And she loves Jesus. She loves me. She loves my family. I do not receive that accusation against her. Get behind me, Satan. And, the, you know, the enemies accused me to Amy, accused my kids to me, my, me to my kids. Now, listen, this doesn't mean that, you know, we're this hyper dysfunctional family because we're not. But what it does mean is we're aware of the warfare. So we win these battles. A lot of families don't win these battles and they just come into agreement with what the enemy says about one another. Um, remember Isaiah fifty four seventeen. Most people know the first part of that verse, but they don't pay enough attention to the second part of the verse. The first part of the verse is famous because it says no weapon that is formed against you will prosper or no weapon that is fashioned against you will succeed. But the second part of the verse says, and you will refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication comes from me, declares the Lord. So here we have God giving you a a little bullet to fire back at the enemy. Like you have to fight this war. If you don't fight back against the accusation of the demonic realm and Satan, you're going to get undercut by it. It's already weakening so many Christians because they don't do what the Bible says, which is to wage the good warfare. We're not passive in our Christian lives. The devil certainly is, uh, isn't. is And if you are passive, he is whooping your fanny on some level every stinking day. And so when it says that the weapon coming against you cannot succeed, we say amen, but this is how it doesn't succeed. You refute the tongue that rises against you in ju- judgment, accusation, condemnation. You have a part to play. You have to say, uh-uh not going to listen to it. I refute that. And this can apply to human accusation too, because how many of us know that Satan rises up people with skin on to come and be his voice in our lives, to accuse us, to misunderstand us, to slander us, to libel us, to, to gossip about us. And there are times where you just have to be able to say without going into full blown self defense mode, you just have to say what you're saying and believing about me is wrong. It's just wrong. Some of you that listen are positioned for kingdom influence and kingdom leadership. And most of the time when people think about that, especially when when they're younger, they think of the glory of ministry (laughs) and they don't think of the groans of ministry. And there is glory in ministry. There's beautiful high peak moments in ministry that just are so deeply enriching and satisfying. But most of it is not that. Most of it is a whole lot of work and toil. It doesn't mean that the work and the toil isn't enjoyable because you're partnering with Jesus. It just means it doesn't feel glorious most of the time. And when you're out front, people are going to talk about you. They're going to run their mouths about you. They're going to write stuff about you. Everybody's got a pulpit now. It's called Facebook or or X or Insta and, or they'll put you on a reel, you know, they're just going to do it. And you have to be able to refute that. One, you better be living above whatever they're accusing you of. And when you are living above what they're accusing you of, you have the power, authority, and hopefully the wisdom to say, what is being spoken or written about me is completely wrong. And then people that really want to know the truth will ask you questions. You invite them to ask you questions. Ask me anything you want. And you answer their questions truthfully. You may not be able to change their minds, but you don't have to come into agreement with the accusation and the weapon formed against you. That tongue that is wagging against you or that keyboard that is writing stuff about you. And it says, Isaiah 54, 17 says, you will refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. So going back to the demonic realm, you get to refute the demons. If Satan himself came against you, you have the authority and the power. Where is it? It's in the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony. That's how you defeat the enemy. And so when the accuser comes, he will keep coming until he knows you don't listen to him anymore. That's the solution. The solution is, is when you break the stronghold of listening and coming into agreement with accusation or being affected by it, the enemy knows, hey, that's not, that tactic's not working on her anymore. So they'll flee you for a little while. They may circle back, but then you'll develop the ability to know, oh, here comes the enemy again, running his mouth again. And so you refute it. I like doing it, quite frankly. Matter of fact, I'm just sitting here while I'm talking, just feeling the goodness of God, just thankful that he's trained me in this stuff and talked to me about this for years. I had to learn it. I had to learn it. it was such a strong weapon of warfare against me for years and years, probably the better part of 15 years as a Christian. And I just kept trying to bear the load of it and felt constantly guilty, constantly shamed, constantly just, man, God, I I hope you love me in spite of everything that's wrong with me. I mean, I had moments like that. And then finally, I just started, you know, by the grace of God and the wisdom of the scripture started saying, I don't have to put up with this stuff. I don't have to listen to the enemy. If he accuses me before God, he'll accuse me to me. And if God shuts him up, I'm going to shut him up too. And then the same thing, of course, with other people, man, just when the enemy is telling you something against other people, you you just need to get with the Lord and say, Lord, would you speak louder about that person than the enemy's speaking right now? God, give me your heart for that person because the enemy likes to use facts. He likes to tell you, well, that person hurt you. That person wounded you. They're a dangerous and bad person. Don't ever have anything to do with them again. Now, factoring in, that, you know, you, you need to be wise and prudent about put, making yourself vulnerable to people that are actually abusive. That's not what I'm encouraging. But what I am saying is when somebody hurt your feelings and the enemy has told you to write them off forever, that is not Jesus because Jesus actually said to forgive them. And so this ministry of accusation is there, there's a hard stop to it. And Isaiah 54, 17 says, this is the heritage of the saints, the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me. God says, I will vindicate you. And sometimes you have to wait on it, but he will vindicate you. And let me wrap up with just a couple of verses in Hebrews 12, okay? Hebrews 12, this may seem out of kind of out of context for a second, but this is what verse 22 through 24 says. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in a festive gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And then it mentions this and to Jesus, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Uh, The blood of Abel was accusatory. The blood of Abel in the ground cried out to God, for justice and vengeance. Cain killed him, murdered him. The blood hit the ground. And the poetic language is that, that the blood cried out to God. And that speaks of a Cain's guilt. It speaks of Cain's indefensible actions and the fact that Cain was actually guilty. And so that blood speaking is a blood that, that proclaims guilt, condemnation. And the writer of Hebrews says, yep, that's all of you. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Uh, John chapter 3 tells us that we were already condemned. And then it says in Hebrews 12 that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus says, I declare you righteous. The blood of Jesus says, I declare you a son I declare you a daughter. I declare that what I did for you is greater than anything you've done against me. I declare my grace. I declare my mercy. I declare that my mercies will be new every morning. I declare that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I declare I have sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. I declare that you are mine. John chapter 10. No man will pluck you out of my hand. I declare my word to be better over you than the voice of accusation, guilt, and shame. So as I leave you today, I have one question for you. Which voice will you believe? Which voice will you come into agreement with? Which voice will you say yes to enthusiastically, humbly, and gratefully? Or which voice will you continue to allow to wrongly define you? to tell you all that you've done wrong is all that God sees. Which voice is going to have the predominant influence on your emotions and on your mental state? Which voice harmonizes with the word of God and which voice conflicts with the word of God? And guys, the ministry of accusation is the stranglehold of Satan. He's choking the life out of so many. And I'll tell you one last time. You have the power and authority to refute what he says. And I would say this, the quality of your Christian experience as a follower of Jesus depends quite frequently, more often and more deeply than you would think. It depends on how serious you take lifting up the shield of faith to stop those arrows from hitting you and hitting the ones that you love. Lots to think about today, and I hope you've been edified, encouraged, and I hope maybe even equipped in how to win these battles. Hey, if you're new to the podcast, let me just remind you that um, if you uh, want access to deeper teachings or just more teachings, uh, you can find all of the podcast episodes on the very simple website, maverickmisfit.com, maverickmisfit.com. There's 180-something messages out there going back for three years, podcast episodes. Um you can also go to Transform Truth if you're somebody that likes to watch rather than just to hear. The podcasts aren't in video form. Uh but there's 30 minute episodes of Truth Shots on the Transforming Truth YouTube page. You can access through that uh through transformtruth.org. Um or you can just look up Jeff Lyle Transforming Truth YouTube and you're going to get like if you're a preaching junkie, I love listening to preaching. Um I drive 1 hour And 15 minutes from my house to the church office. And when I do that, I'm always listening to things that will just edify me. I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to news. I sometimes listen to worship music, but most of the time I'm listening to somebody speak life into me. And so if you're a person that has uh, the desire to watch videos and things like that, Please don't watch them while you're driving. But um, go to TransformingTruth.org or go to Truth Shop, Excuse me, go to YouTube, and uh, you'll find a ton of stuff there. If you've never picked up a copy of my book, would love for you to have a copy. I think it'll bless you. You can order Figuring It Out as I Go off of Amazon.com. It's a very interesting book. It's actually got some humor in it. But it's also got a lot about spiritual warfare in it, and I think you'll be helped, especially if you're going through a time where you know there's a shaking going on in your life. Um, thanks for tuning in. It means a lot to me. And if you want to rate and review us wherever you listen to this podcast, I'd love for you to take three minutes to do that. If you have comments and want to reach out to me, you can reach me at Jeff at maverickmisfit.com, Jeff at maverickmisfit.com. And, um, I answer most of them. I can't get to all of them sometimes, but I do answer most of them. Would love to be able to hear from you. All right, guys, my time is gone. Thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next Tuesday.